I think my favorite part was the nose pick right in the middle of it. Did you, did you catch the nose pick? And Sovereign Lord, when you, it's kind of nice. Um, I got a tip one time from Andy Cherry, our, our worship pastor, when I was struggling with writing a sermon. He writes songs, and writing songs, writing sermons are, are, are fairly similar. And he said, uh, why don't you start at the end and work backwards? And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to start at the end and work backwards. We are going to talk about Simeon. We're going to talk about Simeon, Simeon's blessing and his prophecy and this moment where uh, Joseph and Mary bring their child Jesus into the temple to be consecrated. But before we get there, I, I want you to take a look at the way that Joseph and Mary respond to Simeon's prophecy. It's in Luke chapter 2, verse 33. And Luke writes this, and his father and mother, that's Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about him. They marveled at what was said about him. They were astonished. They were in awe. They were set on their heels. They were speechless at what was said about him. And so here's my hope for us this morning as we uh, journey through these first couple of characters in our Advent story, Simeon and, and Anna. We'll touch on Anna quickly, but, but mostly Simeon, is that we would walk away with a new sense of awe. That we, like Joseph and Mary, would be astonished. That we would have something in our hearts, a sense of worship and, and humility, that, that we would be marveled at what is said about Jesus today. Sound good? Good. Let's pray. God, we welcome you here this morning. We invite you to speak to move, to draw us near to yourself as individuals and as a community. God, anything that might be my own personal opinion or mm, interpretation of this text, could that fall on deaf ears this morning? And our prayer is that the only voice that is heard today is yours and yours alone. In Christ's name, the people of God together said, amen. You know, this time of year when, when the world kind of turns its eyes to Jesus, we hear the Christmas story told over and over, don't we? I mean, we see it in movies sometimes and we hear it in conversation and people start to talk about, well, what does Christmas mean and what's Christmas about and Jesus is the reason for the season and that kind of stuff. And that's all true and good, but understand that the Christmas story doesn't start with Jesus. The Christmas story starts a long time before Jesus shows up on the planet. Christmas doesn't really start with Christmas, as a matter of fact. Christmas begins in eternity past with a Godhead, pre-existent in eternity past, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that sets a plan in motion that would peak with the Messiah, with the promised one, the anointed one of Israel. And so when we read this text about Simeon and Anna, what it reveals to us is that Simeon, in particular, and Anna as well, were waiting, and many in the nation of Israel were waiting on God to put his plan into place. In fact, Luke uh, 2, verse 25 tells us that Simeon was waiting on the consolation of Israel. And verse 28, or 38, I think it is, 38, tells us that uh, Anna spoke to all who were waiting on the redemption of Jerusalem. This is not, uh, Luke is not t talking about just Anna here. He's talking about a prophetess named Anna who is speaking to all who were waiting on the redemption of Israel. 
This word consolation here, by the way, it's the same word that's used for comforter or counselor. Uh, when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in John 13 through 17, the Greek word is paraclete. And here redemption means liberation. It means purchasing someone out of slavery. Israel and even the whole world was waiting on the Messiah. Waiting on God to execute his plan, waiting on God to bring, or to, to bring into being what he intended from eternity past. But the Messiah doesn't show up in quite the way that people expect it. You know, folks expected a king, they expected a governor, they expected a ruler and an authority, and what they got was a helpless baby. So let's read this story about Jesus showing up on the scene. Uh, Luke uh, chapter 2 starts in verse 22. Luke writes this. It says, when the time for their purification according to, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, there is Mary and Joseph and Jesus in particular. We'll get back to that. They, Joseph and Mary, brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So check out what's going on here. It says that the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses. What Luke means by the time came here is that Jesus is 40 days old. Because the Old Testament stipulates, the law stipulates that a baby would be uh, circumcised on the eighth day. I said sacrificed on the eighth day in the first service. That's not what I meant. Circumcised on the eighth day. And then at day 40, it's called the consecration of the firstborn. It's stipulated in Exodus chapter 13. God basically says this. To remember the Passover, to remember me redeeming you from slavery in Egypt, I want you to set aside every firstborn child, both male and female, and remember me. And, and here's how you're going to do it. They didn't owe the temple anything after this. They didn't owe like five years in the mission field or anything like that. It was basically parents coming before God and dedicating their children, uh, 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 you know, in... <laughs> Can we cut that out of the video afterwards, please? Thank you. Thank you. It was, it was parents dedicating their children before the Lord, consecrating their children before the Lord, acknowledging these are a gift from God. These children are a gift from God. So when Jesus is 40 days old, according to the law of Moses, it says that they brought him up to Jerusalem. So here's what's happening. Joseph and Mary, with their 40-day-old Jesus, enter the temple in Jerusalem, which was like this huge, beautiful complex, really, really big. And they entered through the eastern gate, and they passed through what's called the court of the Gentiles. Uh, only Gentiles, or Jews and Gentiles both, but this is the only place in the, in the temple that Gentiles could be, the court of the Gentiles. On the other side of the court of the Gentiles was a gate called the Beautiful Gate. And it was a really beautiful gate, as a matter of fact. It was 60 foot wide, and a very ornate rendering of the city of Susa was on this gate. So they passed through the Beautiful Gate, and on the other side of the Beautiful Gate would be the court of women and only Jewish men and women not Gentiles could be in the court of women they passed through the court of women Joseph and Mary with their son Jesus and they came to 15 steps that led up to a gate called the Nicanor gate this is as far as Mary was allowed to go just before they walked up those 15 steps, Mary would offer five shekels in a treasure chest as part of the consecration of the firstborn. 
walk up those 15 steps, and picture this with me, the, the Levitical priests would have been standing on those steps singing psalms. Cool, huh? So they got up to the top of these steps, and there they dedicated Jesus and consecrated Jesus in adherence to the Old Testament law before the Lord. But it's interesting because Luke tells us that they sacrifice a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. But Leviticus 12 tells us that when you consecrate the firstborn, the, the required sacrifice is a lamb. That's what the law requires, a lamb. But Mary sacrifices two turtle doves or two young pigeons. Here's the first thing we learn about Joseph and Mary and Jesus from Luke's account. They were real poor. They were real poor. Leviticus 12, the Old Testament law, thankfully makes an exception for those who can't afford a lamb. It says if you can't afford a lamb, two young pigeons will do. The first thing that we learn about our Savior, about this Jesus, about God from eternity past entering into the world, that he is this, that he gave up his riches to become poor so that we might be rich. In Jesus, God let go of, he released his godness and became human. God released infinity for a moment and became finite. He who created all that is seen and unseen became a created being. Check this one out. He who spoke the law of Moses into existence became subject to it. He who was infinite, he who was unbreakable became breakable. Paul would say it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He would say, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that by his poverty, you might become rich. In this first moment of our Advent season, we're reminded that God released his eternal riches and became dirt poor, so that by his poverty, we could become rich marginalized, ostracized, broken, forgotten about, verbally abused by his own family members. This was Jesus. A refugee having to flee his home country because of a tyrannical authority. That might be many of you in this room. Poor, broken, forgotten about, ostracized from your own family, without much influence in the world, without riches in the world, Jesus came for you. And he experienced every little bit of that. He who was infinite became finite for you and for me. Not a king, not an authority, not a sports star, a humble child whose family wasn't rich enough even to afford a lamb. They had to offer the sacrifice of the poor. This is the God of the Bible, who sends his son, broken and humble, for you and for me. Let's keep reading. 
says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, so he's a great guy, waiting for the consolation of Israel. See, he's waiting for God's plan from eternity past to come into play, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Keep reading. And he came in the spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. So what does Simeon say? Simeon picks up Jesus and basically says, he's here. The Messiah that we've been waiting for for so long, he's finally here and I can die now. Okay, so, so take this out of Bible context just for a minute. And think about if this happened at Bayview Glen. It's baby dedication Sunday. And there's parents up here with their children dedicating babies. And an old guy who everybody knows is a good guy but is not on like the pastoral staff or the elder team here. We know that Simeon wasn't because Luke would have told us if he was a member of the priestly class. He wasn't. You know, he's a good guy but he comes in with the sign that says, I'm not going to die before Jesus comes back. Is this a little weird already? And then during the baby dedication, he snatches up one of the children that's 40 days old and starts to say, he's here, he's here, I can die now. Like here at Bayview Glen, if that happens, you get tased, okay? That's what happens to that person. Like that's creepy, that's weird, okay? And it would have been at least a little odd, if not really, really odd, for Joseph and Mary, who have brought their child in and who know this is a unique kid because Mary's going, I've never had sex before, so this is kind of different, right? This is, I don't know that this happens, right? There's a lot going on here, but they have not yet recognized that this is the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah. And Simeon comes in and picks up their baby in the middle of baby dedication and starts to go, he's here, he's here. I can finally die. And the priests that are doing the dedication are going, give us back the child, <laughs> you know, sir. Um, settle down, sir. So here's my question. Why does Simeon respond in this way? Why does Simeon respond with such wonder and awe and joy at the sight of this child? Well, remember, the world was waiting on a Messiah. And more specifically, Israel was waiting on a Messiah. So let's think about Israel. Not modern Israel like a nation with borders, but like ancient Israel. Abraham called out of his home country and blessed by God to start a family. And he's given a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob who changes his name to Israel. or God changes his name to Israel. He has 12 sons that become the people of God, the family of God. That people of God eventually is enslaved in Egypt, and God sends a redeemer named Moses. 
brings them out of the nation of Israel. Joshua leads them into the promised land, and God sends a king named David. And the nation of Israel is kind of wayward, and they begin to get off track, and God sends prophet after prophet after prophet to call them back to himself, call them back to himself. And all the while, there's this buzz in Israel. There's this talk in Israel. There's people writing in Israel and people singing in Israel all about this one redeemer, this one king, this one uh, Messiah that would come, the Christ that would come and replace all of what they knew and fulfill all of what they knew. And at the end of Malachi, when God goes silent for 400 years, this is a really big deal in Israel because, listen, Israel's national identity, their family identity, and even the individuals in Israel, their identity was totally wrapped up in Yahweh, in Yahweh's presence with them, and Yahweh's voice to them. You got to listen close, because this is, this, is, this is critical. Israel saw itself as the voice of God, and indeed it was the family of God. They were not a big deal in the world. They didn't have a great army. They didn't have a whole lot of good stuff. They, they were just a small little country or family, even a people of God, that, that had nothing else besides Yahweh. And so when their entire identity was wrapped up in Yahweh's presence and voice with them. And so when he goes silent at the end of Malachi and there's no more prophets and there's no more redeemers and God's not speaking to Israel anymore for 400 years, it becomes a very, very, very big deal. I, I try to think of an analogy this week to help us understand how big a deal it was in Israel when Yahweh went silent. And I thought, what if they took hockey away from Canada? How would that impact us? Like your memories of like playing shinny with your friends, all gone. For those of you who are old enough to remember Paul Henderson's goal, gone. For those of you who know NHL stats, did you know that every captain of every Stanley Cup winning team except for two were Canadian born? Did you know that? Apparently the C on the jersey stands for Canadian. That's what that stands for. Like, we're good at hockey, right? We love the hockey. We beat the U.S. every darn time. It's great. It's great. Yeah, no, don't clap at that. Don't you. <laughs> I just. Now, look. When it comes to overeating and overspending, you are junior varsity compared to us, okay? So you just remember that. Just remember that. For those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm from the U.S., all right? So listen. So look, I know it's a goofy analogy, but, but take that analogy and multiply it exponentially. This was Israel and the way that they identified themselves and the way that they saw themselves and the way they understood themselves, it was totally wrapped up in Yahweh's voice and presence. So when Yahweh disappears for 400 years, I mean, he was still active, and, and, but, but no prophets, no redeemers, no nothing. He just goes silent. This is a really big deal for Israel. So now, look back at what Simeon says in his blessing with that in mind. He says, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace. I can die now. 
I can face death with peace in my heart. Why? Because I've seen your salvation. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. I love Simeon's blessing and his prophecy over Jesus because Simeon really gets it. That the nation of Israel was not blessed with Yahweh's presence in order to just kind of enjoy it. The nation of Israel was blessed with Yahweh's presence in order to give it away. See, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. The light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And Dave said this before, but this is the critical part for us today in understanding what is Simeon teaching us and what is this passage in Luke 2 teaching us is that Jesus' first advent points to his second advent. Jesus' first coming foreshadows his second coming. The fact that God would send his son one time means that he's going to fulfill his promise in sending his son a second time. We've already said that the nation of Israel was waiting on Jesus, and indeed the whole world was waiting on Jesus, and God sent Jesus, died, resurrected, ascended to the right hand of the Father. So now the world is still waiting for Jesus. Did you know that? The world is still waiting for Jesus. Dave mentioned the, the brokenness that we see in our world, the hurt and the pain that we see in our world, the, the, the disillusionment that we see in our world. The, the world, even now, just like the nation of Israel did for those 400 years, is developing this angst, this longing, this expectation, this anticipation. We can look around and just make observations and go, this world is broke. Like, it's messed up. This is, this is one of the reasons, just so everybody knows, a personal thing, one of the reasons why I subscribe to the core tenets of Christianity and believe the Bible, because this is the only document, and Christianity is the only faith system that tells me why the world is so screwed up. Because God made it perfect, and then we broke it. And he sent his son in order to inaugurate a kingdom, and he will send his son again in order to complete that kingdom and fix what we broke. Like, like, you don't think the world is broke? Like, pick up CNN. Like, I was on, I was on CNN this week reading that it was like the top 100 stories of 2016. The top 100 stories of 2016. And like 98% of them were sad. Like, the worst mass shooting in the history of my country, the United States, happened this year. Like, people dropping bombs in Syria and ISIS going crazy and there's there's... You know, people dying, refugees dying in the Mediterranean on a daily basis. I saw a picture of a guy in a rescue boat holding a baby that had drowned, six month old. And like, it's not just babies drowning, it's the fact that they, they thought the risk of death was better than living under the tyranny they were currently living in. This is the top 100 stories of 2016. Look at the way Paul says this in Romans 8. He says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Read CNN, that'll tell you. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we do what? Wait. Just like Simeon did. Just like Anna did. Just like so many in Israel did. 
eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What you read on CNN is that the whole creation is waiting. The whole creation is groaning. Earthquakes, natural disasters, people doing stuff to one another, like just bad stuff happening in the world. There's an angst that's growing, is there not? There's an expectation that's growing. There's something happening in the world because Jesus is not back yet and he is going to come back and set it right. But it's not just the creation that's waiting now. The world is still waiting on Jesus. It's not just the creating, who or the, the creation, who else? We ourselves. We ourselves are waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Simeon and Anna were waiting on the redemption of Jerusalem. You and I are waiting on the redemption of our bodies. Why? Because our bodies are broke. Our souls are broke. Our insides are broke. Our emotions are broke. I'll prove it to you. Your body is broken. If you're like over 30, I don't need to explain this to you. Do you, ever, you, you ever do insanity? You, you know that workout insanity? I did one yesterday, and it was stupid. Like, it was not a good choice. Like, my, and I'm 37. Like, my body, my joints ache. Like, bodies get sick and die. Like Paul talks about our bodies as a tent. And one day we'll enter our eternal dwelling, which is our permanent home. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, you ever been camping? Like, it's stupid, people who camp. Like, why would you, you have a perfectly good house. Why do you take a tent out in the middle of nowhere and, like, sleep on a rock where it's cold? Like, doesn't camping always sound good? You're like, let's go camping. And then you're there for, like, 15 minutes and it starts to rain. You know what sounds good at that point? A Weston. That's what sounds good at that, like a mall. I, I'm just, I'm anti-camping. I, I consider myself an avid indoorsman. I just love being inside. And people who camp, you just, that's, that's silly. This is what Paul is saying. He says, your body is broken. It's like a tent. It's like camping. It's not your permanent home. You're going to get a permanent home one day when Jesus comes back. And right now you're waiting. And we're also waiting on the redemption of our souls, the redemption of, of, of what's happening on the inside. And you and I know that you're broken on the inside. You and I know that I'm broken on the inside. Like, people say, like, man is inherently good. Really? Like, really? Look at the world. Look at the people in your life. Judge them. <laughs> Look at yourself. Look in your own heart. Man is inherently good. Really? Hmm. Hmm. Man is inherently wicked. Man is inherently sinful. Man is inherently rebel- rebellious towards God. Again, I'll prove it to you. Yesterday, um, our two-year-old uh, took one of those foam rollers. You know what those foam rollers are? The, like the long thing that you roll your legs on to, you know, it's like a long tube, like styrofoam tube thing. And she picked it up. She was throwing a fit. She picked it up like a log, and she took off sprinting. Uh, unfortunately, uh, little Miss Kaya misjudged how wide the door frame was <laughs> in comparison to how wide the foam roller was. So at full blast, she hit this door frame and landed on her rear end on her back and started weeping. And you know what my wife did? She erupted in laughter. <laughs> Do you know why? Because man is inherently wicked. That's why. Mm-hmm. 
and we're waiting on Jesus to come back and redeem her because that is just, that's a mess. Look, it's funny, right? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a joke that my wife is really sinful, it's, and it's funny. Um, but look, look inside your own heart. I mean, I've said this before, but I think it's helpful. Like, no one wants their heart attached to these projectors so that everybody can see your internal motivations, right? Like, let's put everything you think up on these projectors, and let's just put it up here for all your family and friends to see. All your secrets, everything you've ever done, let's just put it up, up, up here. No, no, no. We're broken. We're broken. And we need a redeemer, a savior, a consoler. We are still waiting on Jesus. And because he came once, we can be confident that he will come again. So here's what Simeon teaches us. Because of Jesus, we can depart in peace. We can depart in peace. We can look at the world around us. We can look death in the face, whether it's personal or those we love and care about, and be at peace with it. This doesn't mean we like it. <laughs> this doesn't mean we don't grieve. This doesn't mean we don't work to fix the brokenness that's in the world because we're on Team Jesus and Team Jesus is a redeeming team. That's what we're after. We, we want to bring the kingdom of Jesus and hasten the kingdom of God. But when life doesn't work the way it should, or when death comes knocking, or you get that diagnosis, or your doctor says, I'm sorry, but you're not pregnant anymore. We grieve, we hurt, and we long with peace in our hearts, but still we long for that second advent of our king who won't come back the next time as a baby. He'll come back the next time as the king of kings to complete a kingdom that he inaugurated 2,000 years ago and put everything right. And so today, with Joseph and Mary, just like Luke says in Luke 2, verse 33, we simply stand in awe. We marvel. We are astonished at the good news that is embodied in that 40-day-old baby that was consecrated in the temple in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And we wait with hope and expectation and anticipation for the day when he comes again. Let's pray together. So Jesus, you are good to us and you are kind and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We are grateful, O oh God, that you who were our rich became poor so that we might inherit riches. We are grateful, O oh God, that you who are infinite became finite so that you could be a high priest that's able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses. We are grateful, O oh God, that not only did you reach out to the ostracized, the broken, the forgotten about, the aging, the orphan, the widow like Anna was, but you became the ostracized, the broken, the forgotten about, the carpenter's son, 
out of nowheresville, Nazareth. And we're grateful, O oh God, that your first coming 2,000 years ago reminds us and points to your second coming. And we wait with longing and expectation and hope. When the day comes that you'll give us a new body, that you'll set everything right in the world, and that you'll take us home to a place where there is no sin and there is no shame and there is no brokenness, no tears, no dying. So we stand in awe and we marvel today at these words that are spoken to us from Luke chapter 2. Just in that continued posture of prayer, let's stand and sing in response.